God. Isn't God good? today and need to be encouraged. Um, we want to, in just a moment, we're going to turn around and we'll raise our hands toward Brian and Elena, who yeah. lost yeah. mother and mother-in-law. Nancy went yeah. to be with the Lord this last week. Yes, and then also we want to pray over here for Denise and her family. Lost grandpa this week. And he crossed over into attorney. We want the angels to comfort yeah. them and lift them up. Give them peace beyond measure. Praise God. We had several uh, different people that have passed into eternity that are connected to my wife and I and uh, over the last two weeks, I think five or six people. And uh, so I don't know what all that means or what's going on. All I know is God is still in control. And uh, we're thankful that we can call on him. As we're praying for these two families, we also want to pray for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jerry Pritchett, which is Terry's father. And Noah's Terry and Randy have been the last two Sundays. Uh, they were with Jerry and Sandy. And so they have just been quarantining until they're both tested negative. So that's good. They're good quarantining and being uh, careful. And we appreciate that. And uh, they have missed being here immensely. And uh, so we're going to continue to pray for them. They should be back next week. But then also, Jerry has had a turn and has gone into the hospital. And he's got several underlying conditions as well as... He's in the risk group as far as age is concerned. And so he just needs a touch of the Lord. And so we're going to ask that the Lord to touch him. So we want to pray for Brian and Elena, for the Denise and her family over here, and then pray for Jerry Pritchett today. Can we do that right now? If you just feel love, if you just turn and raise your hands for Brian and Elena, for yeah. Denise and her family, and just let the sweet presence of God go. Lord, we pray right now by the authority of your word and the power that's in the name of Jesus. I pray for these two families that have been suffered loss this week. Lord, they are in the grieving process right now. And I'm asking you for divine strength. Your word promises us in the book of Hebrews that you have angels that are sent forth as ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. I'm asking the angelic host to be released right now into their lives. Let them feel the undergirding of your spirit. Let them feel the support of the prayers of your people. Let them feel the love of the master. Lord Jesus, let comfort come in the midst of their loss and let them understand that you're right there for them in every minute of every hour of every day. Lord, and we pray now for Jerry, God, that you would touch his body, strengthen his, his soul, strengthen all of, of around him, God, and give the doctors the wisdom to do the right thing. Lord, we pray against this sickness and disease. Come against it, I pray. Strengthen Randy and Taryn, oh Lord, I pray. In the name that is above every name, pray for name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the Lord of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving. For you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love you, we love you, we love you. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. Let's continue to remember these 
families this week as they are dealing with the loss of their loved one. And uh, praise God. But God will just wrap his loving arms around them and that they will feel the strength of his embrace. In Jesus' name, praise God. I want to give you just a couple of, of announcements tonight, uh, today. And we're going to, I want to talk to you a little bit about our Christmas concert. We've done this every year but one since we've been here, I think. And, uh, and, and so we want to be able to um, uh, do this again. It's a little bit trickier now because of the COVID restrictions. So we can't just open our doors and let anybody in and, and overfill. Uh, we don't want to be turning people away at the door because we've met the maximum occupancy. And so what we're going to be doing is, and we've never really done this before, but we're going to ask for your help. We're going to sell tickets for $5 a piece. Um, that way we can um, assure that people will come and it'll be, we're going to do two different concerts this year. On December 5th is a Saturday, it'll be at 6 p.m. We'll have a concert that night. And then on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m., we will not have service that Sunday morning. Our service will just be in the afternoon, the concert in the afternoon at 2 o'clock. So we will be able to get tickets for either Saturday night or Sunday. We can have, uh, we want to be able to have seat comfortably and safely and meet all of the requirements, about 100 people. So we're gonna make about 100 tickets available for each night. We want to encourage you to invite friends and family to come and be a part of that. And we're gonna let you know this week exactly how to purchase those. Uh, we'll be able to, uh, we're planning to be able to have you purchase those online as well as in-house. Um, I would love to be able to just say, you know, whosoever will let them come. But uh, we know this from past experience that you probably have family and friends that have done this. They've committed to coming and then they just decided not to come. And then we would have empty seats. We want to be able to fill. And so a $5 ticket, if you want to buy those for your family, that's all entirely up to you. If you want to make them buy, that's up to you too. And I don't think $5 is asking too much for a fantastic night of Christmas music. And we're going to be doing things um, safely. And social distance-wise, we have all of that in place, and it's going to be a good time uh, to come and introduce <clears throat> the season of Christmas right after Thanksgiving. And uh, it's always a great night, and so we want to encourage you to be able to do it twice. So if you want to come Saturday night and bring somebody else again on Sunday, that, that's awesome. And so we want to fill it up both nights. I think last year, I think we had a count of about 100 and. 45 or 150 people that were here that night, maybe even a little bit more than that. And so we think by going to two services or two concerts, we'll be able to accommodate everybody that wants to come. Some people, we did it Sunday afternoon because some people have their own church to go to Sunday morning. We understand that. But you want to invite them over for Sunday afternoon. It'll be a fantastic day to do so. So be watching email-wise. I'll try to put it in the day of devotion. Uh, and then we'll also announce it Wednesday and Sunday of how to purchase tickets. Uh, whether it be on, well, it will be online and it will be probably available here as well for those that don't like to purchase things online. So that's that's the heads up, getting ready. We're five weeks away from that. So uh, the praise team has been working hard and uh, learning the songs. And I like just reminding them of the time frame just to make them nervous. <laughs> My wife was down here nodding her head. <laughs> praise God. Uh, I want to, if you would want to turn to your 
in your scriptures today to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. If you watched the service Wednesday, either on YouTube or on Facebook, uh, you'll understand where I'm coming from a little bit. If you haven't seen that, I encourage you to go back and watch that. You can just go to our face or our, our website, spiritofgracechurch.org, and go on to podcasts, and you can either listen to it, watch it, whatever you want to do. Um, we were challenged, for those of you that don't know, that are newer to our church, my wife and I and a couple of others uh, are members of uh, a ministry network called Destiny Leaders, and we're connected with them, and uh, Dr. Phil Brassfield is the leader of that ministry, and uh, we are so honored to be a part of that. And so we have been given great resources and things of that nature. Well, this uh, ministry started, uh, has encouraged us a, a four-week or a four-service uh, message, if you will, on love first. On love first. And uh, so as I began to look at some of the information, uh, and they gave us some, they gave us some notes to preach from or to adapt to our our own um, mindset and the way we preach our own style and and so I'm going to be doing that uh, I started it Wednesday night today this coming Wednesday and next Sunday we'll close it out and so but I want to encourage you because we are living in a day where love is hard to find hate is very easy to find it's all around us and uh, these messages may be um in response to what's going on in society today, the the vitriol and the, the hatred that's just spewing on all corners and in all aspects of life. But at the same time, we want to remind you that we are people of another kingdom. Yeah. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Praise God. I can't remember who wrote that song so many years ago, but man, it still applies today. I don't want to get so tied to this earth that I can't rise in the rapture. I don't want to be so entangled and tied up with the things of life that when the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ are rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. I don't want anything to hinder me from getting to my Jesus. I want to spend eternity with him. And so I remind myself on a daily basis, this world is not my home. I'm just, I'm a stranger and a foreigner in a strange land. And so because we're strangers and foreigners and because we are kingdom people, children of God, we can't operate, we can't think, we can't plan like others plan. And we can't uh, express ourselves necessarily like others express themselves. The Bible says that God is love. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God because God is love. We like to say as Christians we know God, but I've seen some Christians spew some hateful stuff in the last couple of months. I've seen some Christians uh, post some nasty stuff over the last several months. And uh, this series of messages, I believe, is to refocus us to the concept of what love really is. 
And so today, I, I want to, before we get to our text, I want to just give you kind of a prelude to today's message. And how many have ever heard of the man named Stephen Covey? Some of you. He wrote, a, might probably maybe know the book better than the name, but he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many have heard of the book? Okay, better. And, uh, and, and in that book, it's a fantastic book, but he explains in, in one area of the book, he says, effective people first seek to understand before being understood. Effective people first seek to understand before being understood. And, and I like the story that he gives in his book of how he came to that understanding. Uh, because he, he, he recounted an experience that he had on the subway. Uh, and you can apply subway, airplane, anything to this waiting room in a dentist's office or a doctor's office, whichever. But uh, he wrote it this way. A man and his children entered the subway. The children were rowdy and disruptive. And Covey addressed the man, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. How many of you ever wanted to ask somebody that? <laughs> How many of you ever asked yourself that? <laughs> well, the man responded to uh, Mr. Covey, and he said, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And immediately, Mr. Covey saw things differently. And because he saw things differently, he thought differently. Because he thought differently, he felt differently. And because he felt differently, he behaved differently. He had a whole new understanding of what was going on. And once he understood, then he could understand a whole lot better. I, I like this statement. Uh, uh, these notes come from a, a Pastor Brett Jones. Uh, from Houston, Texas, I believe, or Humble, Texas. And uh, he, he puts that, I don't know if this is his quote. If it is, I give him credit. If it's not, well, he's getting credit anyhow. And uh, because I like this quote, he says this, we need to be on site to get insight. We need to be on site to get insight. Isn't that good? Yeah. Uh, there's too many people that are, listen, you just, you, you listen to all the political stuff and you listen to all the disagreements and all the discussion, and, and, and some people don't haven't been on site, and they're still trying to give their insight. And some people are trying to, get, to to say they're on site, but they're really not. In other words, some things look good on paper, but when you see how they're applied, it doesn't make so much sense. You see, there's too much of what's going on in the world today is in the abstract. Or it's in the it's in the area of theory. It's in the area of the unknown. It's it's platitudes and it's education. And, and, it, and, it, and when I say education, I mean it's in the, the the hopes that this could happen. And we deal with hypotheticals all the time. And we walk through different areas all the time in theory. But in theory, doesn't always play out the way that it's supposed to because theory. And there, there's one thing about theory that you always have to understand, and that is it is relegated to an ideal situation. Yeah. It's really, if it's an ideal situation, then in theory this will work. Yeah. But if the situation is just skewed just a little bit, your theory may not work. 
And so you need to get on site before you get inside. You have to see what the, the situation and the environment is around you and what's going on in order for you to get an insight to what's going on. And so in this concept of loving first, um, it requires to sit where people are sitting and understanding before you're going to be understood. And so we're going to take this to scripture today with the prophet of Ezekiel, who was among the Jews. They were in exile in Babylon captivity. And when he first encountered God, the power of God was so strong that the Bible says he fell on his face as a dead man. And, and, and in the beginning of his, his interaction with God, God manifested himself in such a powerful dimension that Ezekiel ends up having this telescope kind of prophetically looking into the kingdom age, if you read the book of Ezekiel. And the Bible says that he stepped into a spirit realm and he fell on his face before God as if there was no breath left in him and then God spoke to him. We always want God to speak. But when was the last time we got so involved in the spirit that we fell on our face before God as he couldn't hardly breathe? And so when God got through speaking to him, God sent Ezekiel to speak to the captive people who were ensnared in bondage and in despair. And here's what I, I want to, to kick this message off. Ezekiel, after hearing from God, after hearing from God, Ezekiel falls into this perilous trap of assuming that he knew what those who were held captive were feeling. And we're going to read it here in just a second. So, in his preparation to go to them, Ezekiel is fired up about what he's going to do and what he's going to say. So, Ezekiel chapter 3, starting at verse number 14. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. Notice this. And I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. He was going to minister. He was going to share the words of the Lord. And he was going to try to do it in bitterness and the heat of his own spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Verse 15, then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv and, and who dwelt by the river Chebar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Ezekiel left prepared to whip them into shape in bitterness and heat of spirit. He was ready to tell them what saith the word of God. He was ready to get eyeball to eyeball and straighten them out. And he and not understanding who they were, not understanding where they were, not understanding what was going on. And the Bible says this, when, or basically says, when Ezekiel got ready to go down, he went down in the heat of his own spirit. He was like saying, oh, I know what God will be done. How many of you are fixers? How many of you are honest? 
The fixer always has the answer. And by your chuckles, I know that you agree with me. Ezekiel knew he had the answer that the people that camped by River Chibar uh, needed. And in the heat of his passion, he intended to whip them into shape. And in paraphrasing it, he was going to give them suck it up advice. Just suck it up and keep going. Just keep moving. Just keep doing it. But when he arrived on the scene, something changed him. He was so taken back by what he saw and what he was experiencing that he was silenced where he was at. He couldn't even talk. And so he, he would very wisely shelved his I know how you feel speech. You see, he had no words to express his soul when he got amongst them. My question to you or my admonition to us today is don't rush into a place with an instant can cure that's gathered by statistics and reports and books you read because until you sit where the person is that you're talking to sits and feel what they feel and struggle like they struggle, you'll never know what's going on on the inside of them. You see, the concept of expressing your soul is easy in the classroom setting. It's easy in the abstract. It's easy when you're not experiencing what's going on. Telling it like it is, it sounds good from a distance. You see, here's the thing that you have to remember. Until you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoe, you don't know the kind of ground they've been walking on. Have they been walking on smooth pavement or have they been walking on rocky roads? Have they been walking through mud or are they walking through dust? What are they walking? You can't tell what's below them until you get to the place where you walk with them. You see, you've got to sit where they sit. You've got to walk where they walk. And when you begin to do that, you'll understand a little bit more about them. You think about it. You start your life out and I start my life out with a great grand plan. Now, some of it's a little foolish, and some of it's a lot better. When I was five, I was going to be evil can evil. You laugh. I had the suit. I had the face mask. I was going to be evil can evil. A couple of years later, at the age of six, because I had started... Uh, water skiing, I wanted to be like Fonzie. Because <laughs> if you ever seen Fonzie water skiing, it was easy. <laughs> My plan was laid out. I had a plan to go to Bible college as soon as I got out of high school. And I did. And then I had a plan to be full-time in the ministry my whole adult life until I couldn't, until something changed. I planned to get married and have kids until I got married and we were told we weren't going to have kids. I planned to have a nice vehicle. (laughs) 
until I got an old laundry van, a three on the cow with no other seats, rusted out for $70. Then my grandfather decided to buy me a car after my first year. He said he can't go to college in that van. So he bought me a Plymouth Horizon. It was so much better. <laughs> Until Christmas when I flew back from St. Paul to Philadelphia and the lady that was picking me up decided that that little four-cylinder could go 100 miles an hour for two hours. It didn't. Oh, I got on the airport and there's just smoke everywhere. Cracked block. Bye-bye, Plymouth. That's why I married my wife. She had a car. <laughs> you see, my plan didn't work there either because the first year that we had the car, the windshield was duct taped on and a gentleman in the church was making sure that the oil was working every single week and that's no lie. What am I trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say is you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. And when you make your plans and you make your goals and you make your agendas, when you begin to do that, you have to be ready for those plans to have to change. You have to be ready. My wife has told you several times, her desire was never to come to Minnesota. But now you're not going to get her out. Plans change. Things happen. Things go on. You, you, you see, you're, you had dreams, you had plans, you had aspirations, but life happens. And, and all of a sudden, dreams get broken. And there you sit by a nice river, if you will, and you have no song to sing, and you're in a strange land, and you're among strange people, and all you need is for somebody to come and sit down with you. You, you don't need them to come and, and break out the how-to in 30 days plan and how to set up your life so you're going to succeed and go through the seven steps to become successful and, and the three steps to get over your junk and, and, and all that kind of, you don't need any of that. You just need somebody to come down and sit next to you and allow you to heal. And so Ezekiel comes and he say, he comes to the captives of Tel Aviv and he sat where they sat and he remained there astonished among them for seven days. When Ezekiel saw the level of their pain, he knew that it would be wrong, it would be a travesty for him to act like he knew how they felt. And so he sat where they sat. How many of you have sat where they sat before you've tried to fix it? It's the hardest thing to do. And so for seven days, Ezekiel did absolutely nothing. Now some of us wouldn't last seven minutes. Seven days. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If I'm hurting and I'm struggling and somebody just comes and sits and watches me for seven days, I might get a little uncomfortable. But what was happening was God was taking that moment and he was processing it in Ezekiel. And after seven days of silence, and after seven days of Ezekiel connecting 
to the situation that was there, no longer insulated, no longer on his high horse, no longer having the, 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 the owner's manual to get it fixed, no longer having the breakout of how to get over the situation that they were in. But he had sat where they sat. When he did that, that's when God was ready to use him. Can I just tell you, my friend, God is trying to use the church, but the church has gotten so consumed and tied up in fixing things that we have forgotten to sit where they sit, walk where they walk, and think how they think. And sometimes, I, I know these messages were, were for the right thing because as soon as I decided, uh, Destiny just said to it sometime this fall. And so as soon as I started thinking about it, doing it the way uh, we've decided to do it, all of a sudden I saw a lot of your posts dealing with the love of the Lord and, and loving others. So we're right in the flow of where God wants us. But sometimes life insulates us from how others feel. And we come up with our conclusions based off of a two-minute news piece on the, on the radio or on the TV without ever going into the depth of the situation. In fact, you know, one of the things that's driving me crazy in, in this season right now is the political season and the concept of having a debate. Because in the first debate of the presidential debate, you had 15 minutes to fix health care. Yeah, right. You had 15 minutes to figure out the Supreme Court. You had 15 minutes to figure out unrest, civil unrest. I mean, how are you going to figure any of that out in 15 minutes? And yet, for the vast majority of Americans, that's where they're making their decision is upon that 15-minute time slot without ever looking at anything else, without ever getting to where everything else is, sitting where they sat. You see, it's so easy to become occupied with our own life that we can't relate to the people that are struggling around us. And we get so self-focused that maybe we have forgotten that time in our life that we didn't have what we have today and that person doesn't. Can I just tell you that everybody in here is at a different stage in life's journey? I'm not just talking naturally because we're all different ages. Some of us are younger, some of us are older, some of us are newborn, some of us have been born for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> but even spiritually, spiritually, People are at a different walk with God. They're in a different season of life. They've been around the block a time or two. But can I tell you, what those of us that have been around the spiritual block a few times, don't ever let yourself forget where you were at a couple turns yeah. ago. Yeah. When you were down on your on the bottom, when you were down on your luck, when things weren't going right, when you couldn't see light from darkness, when you couldn't understand the struggle, can I just tell you, go back and sit down with them for just a few days and just see how they're struggling, see how they're fighting, because until you sit where they sit, you're not going to be able to be effective. It's hard to do what the New Testament writer tells us, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ if we're not really, really willing to bear one another's burdens. Notice that it didn't say fix the burdens of another. Notice that it doesn't say, let me come to you and let me just tell you how you really should handle this. 
It says, bear ye one another's burdens. And if you want to be effective, and I believe that we all do, if we don't choose to sit where people sit, life will bring us to a place where we'll sit where they sit. Circumstances and crisis and dilemmas and problems and adversities will bring you to a point where you have to connect to them. It's a principle that cannot be violated. It cannot be gathered through college degrees and sitting through university philosophy classes. It can't be given to you from an organization or a professor or a teacher or a preacher. Something has to happen in your life so that you come to where they are. Here's how I know that. We read the story in the New Testament of the woman that was taken in adultery. On this day, the Pharisees and the scribes interrupt Jesus in the middle of his teaching in the synagogue. Now, I don't know about you, but that's gutsy. I don't know that I interrupt Jesus when he's teaching, but they did. They dragged a woman out of adultery, and the Bible says that they caught her in the very act. And she didn't even get a chance to do her hair or change her clothes. We don't know how she came to the Lord at that moment in time. She may not have had anything really on, but she was dragged into the temple. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus, what are you going to do about this woman? How are you going to fix it? What do you say? You see, the Pharisees knew the written law. They knew what the law of Moses said about this situation. But they didn't know that they were talking to the author of the law. They didn't recognize Jesus from the reading of the Old Testament. You see, there's a difference between knowing the word and knowing the author. I would love for everybody to be able to quote the Bible backwards and forwards and know every scripture. That would be great. But you can know the Bible and not know the author of the Bible. You can know the words of scripture. The Bible says it this way. The letter killeth, but the Spirit gives it life. Listen, when you try to fix things in your own life and in others' lives, it's not the Spirit doing it, it's the flesh doing it. It's the Word, if you will. It's the law. It's the statistics. It's the data. And when you try to fix your life in that manner, you're going to fail every time because the letter brings destruction or it kills, but the Spirit infuses life into it. And it's kind of foolish to challenge an author about the book he wrote. So how does Jesus handle this moment? You see, the Pharisees came. The Pharisees thought they had entrapped him and, and snared him because they thought that this was going to be a battle of words and theology. Let me, let me just stop there for just a second because I've said this over and over again since the beginning of this quarantine, the beginning of all the COVID stuff and the beginning of all of the unrest beginning in May and all of the violence that's gone on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Stop trying to fight your neighbors. Stop trying to fight your politician. Stop trying to fight the people. Start fighting in the spirit. Because we are in a spiritual battle. It's not about words and theology. You see, to the Pharisee, that's where ministry was. That's where God operated, is in words and theology. 
how much do I know? And if I know more than you, then I'm better than you are. And Jesus stepped back from teaching the class. And this woman I can picture is lying there in the dirt, tears running down her face. No doubt she was absolutely terrified. She was waiting for the first stone to hit her. She was waiting for the pain and the torment for about that was about to happen. She was embarrassed. She was probably ashamed. And there's hatred and venom in the eyes of the old religious leaders of that day as they threatened, as they were threatened in their position because their position was more important than the presence. Their position was more important than the presence of God in their lives. And they threw her at his feet. What would Jesus say? But before he spoke, the Bible says he stooped down. Jesus stooped down to get where she was. He sat where she sat. All the others failed to sit where she sat. They grabbed her, they shoved her, they pushed her, they pulled her, they dragged her, they threw her, and they deposited her at the feet of Jesus. But they never sat where she sat. And Jesus didn't answer them a word. Just like Ezekiel of old. He didn't say anything. He just stooped down and he started writing on the ground. They were acting out of what they believed. He was acting out of who he was. And I would that the church would stop acting out what they believe and start acting out who we are. We are the epistle of God in this world. We are the body of Christ. What does that mean? That means we need to respond like Christ responds. We need to stoop down in the ground. We need to sit where they sit. We need to understand that not everybody's perfect, that not everybody has it all together, and they're not looking for a checklist to get out of something. They're looking for something that gives them hope and everlasting peace. In fact, it's looking back on the messages through the years, I probably received a whole lot more sermons by people's actions than by what I've heard. Now listen, I'm not minimizing what Jesus says. Jesus says some powerful things. His word is powerful. I'm not minimizing that. What I am doing is trying to shed a light upon where he sat. There's no question that he could speak. How many people, how many men left their profession and their lives on simply two words, follow me? Because they followed him, we have the New Testament, and we have the church today because the church was built on the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. But notice that he understands that sometimes words don't need to be said until you sit where they sit. And so he stooped down and he wrote. You see, before we talk about the writing, let's notice the stooping. The law had caught all of humanity in the act of our sin and our despair. Satan thought that he had cornered God and he was going to kill him with his own law. And when all of mankind's future was hanging in the balance, 
the gavel of the judge of the law was hanging in the middle of the air. The judge slipped out of his robe and manifested himself in flesh. That's what Christmas is really all about. He was stepping out from where he was sitting to where we were sitting. He was stepping into an arena where we were at. He was wanting to know how we felt, how we thought, how we responded, what was going on. He stepped out. He stooped down to where we were at. Jesus didn't redeem us from a lofty pinnacle somewhere up in heaven. He came down through 42 generations and came into the womb of Mary and he sat where you and I sat. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have not a high priest which has not been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus didn't come out of the womb preaching and teaching. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to think that. Jesus let a human that he created change his diaper. The great creator allowed that which he created to discipline him. Can you imagine what Mary and Joseph thought when they were raising Jesus? Go to your room. If Jesus was like me, say, well, which one? <laughs> I've got them all over the world. Can you imagine what Mary and Joseph thought when Jesus got on their nerves and they finally told him to be quiet? You see, Jesus walks with us. He feels what we feel. He wept at our funerals. He saw us give our offerings and deal with our dilemmas and operate through our crisis. He walked through the lepers and the blind eyes and the lame. And then finally, after he sat with us for a couple of years and he suffered a while with us, then he was equipped to redeem us. And all of a sudden, after about 30 years, John the Baptist rises from the Jordan River and points to a crowd of people as Jesus is walking towards the water. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Even Jesus wasn't ready for his mission till he sat where he sat. Isn't it sad that while religion stands up, the Lord of glory stoops down. The rabbi, the master, the creator himself. He stooped down for one reason. The reason that he stooped down was because she couldn't get up. I know that maybe he can stand up and save you, but for me, he had to stoop down. My Pharisees weren't lying on me. I was guilty. I was caught in the act. I was born, and I grew up, and I made dumb decisions, 
and I committed sins. And if a law had its way, I would have been stoned to death. They had the rocks to kill me. They had their evidence ready to destroy me. But then Jesus got down into the dirt with me. Sometimes your greatest power is not in what you declare, but it is in how you stoop. He stooped down and wrote in the dust on the floor. I don't know what he wrote. Nobody does, except for him and her. But I do know why he wrote. He took his holy finger and he touched the dirt to say, I'm not afraid to touch the filthy places of your life. When he took his finger and began to write, divinity was touching humanity because humanity was made out of the dirt that he was writing in. I, I know why he wrote. He wrote to let me know that in spite of my dirt, Nothing can resist the imprint of his hand. He can put his word in the dirtiest places of my life. He can walk in the corner of the ugliest part of who I am. And he can stoop down and begin to write on the ground. And if you read the story in the, in the New Testament, nobody ever read what he wrote. Whatever he was writing in her life would forever be a secret between them. And what he wrote in the dust by the broken woman would forever be a secret only between the two of them. And when they were all gone, he stood up and he spoke with her. Notice that he stayed stooped down until the accusers were gone. He didn't rush it. He didn't try to overcome it. He knew where she was at. So he just kept writing until they were all gone. And why did they leave? Because as he was stooped down with her in the dirt of the floor, and he began to write, he said, he that is among you without sin, let him cast the first stone. And in that moment of time, the Pharisees recognized that the Creator was kneeling in the dirt with that which He created. Up until this point, when they're gone, He had not spoken to the woman, He had spoken for the woman. Listen, when you're at your lowest, let God speak for you. Don't defend yourself. Don't complain. Don't try to compare. Don't try to figure it out. When you're down in the dumps and nothing seems to make sense, there's an old song that I've got written in my Bible and I refer to it all the time. It says God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you can't trace his hand, when you can't see his plan, trust his heart. Listen, when you are down on the very bottom, he is going to stoop down there with you. And while he's there with you, you let him do the talking. 
He will talk on your behalf. He will be your defender. He will be your encourager. He will be the one that satisfies the longing of your soul. He's the one that will set up a hedge of protection around you. He's the one that will go to battle for you. He's the one that will put his hand upon you. You don't need anything else but him. Just let him do it. And when they were all gone, he spoke with her. Basically said, stop crying and look up. Can I just tell you something? Part of the reason why people don't get up from the ground is because they're still crying over something that God has already dismissed. And we haven't stopped crying about our situation long enough to see that whatever it is that's causing us to be there in the first place, has already been handled by the power of God. Our mission statement and vision statement in this church is that we are a spirit-filled, spirit-led, and Christ-like church. We like the spirit-filled part. Don't we? And we like the spirit-led part. But sometimes the Christ-like part can get difficult. Because to be Christ-like is to sit where they sit and not engage in their arguments and not defend ourselves. Can I just tell you, when somebody starts blasting me, it's easy for me to get wrangled and start defending myself. Well, this, 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 and this. This, 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 and this. Listen, just close your mouth and let him fight. The Bible says it this way. When Christ was led, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and opened not his mouth. Now, I, I understand that this isn't easy because you and I are our own best defenders, we think. And we, some of us like to argue. And some of us like to argue more than others. And some of us like to be right more than others. And some of us like to prove it. But can I just tell you what love does? Love closes your mouth and lets you stoop to the ground and sit where they are sitting and try to understand where they're coming from and why the hatred is coming, and the wrath is coming, and why the unrest is coming, and why the disturbance is happening. And in the midst of that, we let God begin to move. I invite you to stand. For 13 years, I was a mail carrier. United States Postal Service in Lee Summit, Missouri. And uh, obviously, the Postal Service is federal property. And so it wasn't allowed to share the things of God with people. It just wasn't. Uh, it was kind of funny, though, because our postmaster was a member of our church. And uh, 
it was, it was kind of funny because the union steward and the postmaster didn't get along real well. And uh, so when I got hired there, I didn't come in as Tim or Tim Sanders. I came in as one of Harold's kids, who was the postmaster, one of Harold's guys. And uh, so needless to say, I was starting off in the negative with the rest of the carriers because I, was just one of, I wasn't in the union, I was just one of Harold's guys. And uh, so they just kind of kept their distance from me to a certain extent. I don't know if they were afraid I was gonna run to him about everything or what, but, but uh, as I started, over the course of time, I never told anybody about Jesus. I never shared my testimony. But they began to see how I responded to things that were going on. And they began to see how I related to what was going on in the news of the day. They saw how I related as I was casing my mail and putting it in order when the World Trade Center went down. They saw how I responded to certain situations that were happening within our office and people's lives. And, and, and what ended up happening before long is all of a sudden somebody would stop by my case and they, they'd stick their head around and just say, hey, listen, would you pray for my family? We're struggling right now. And I'd say, absolutely. And so I'd start to pray with them. And, and then it, it, and it went on and on, and all of a sudden, uh, you'd have another gentleman or another lady stick their head through the case and go, hey, listen, my, my friend was in an accident. Do you mind praying for him? I hadn't told anybody. They knew I was one of Harold's kids, so they knew I went to church, and they knew that I was part of the ministry of that church, but I didn't sit down in the, in the, in the break room and say, hey, listen, that says the word of the Lord. I wasn't one of those missionaries that walked into, we had a friend in school that went into McDonald's on one of our first nights and started walking up and down preaching the gospel. That wasn't me. I was too shy. I just sat where they sat. Now, can I say that I've always done that? No. I haven't done that in my own home sometimes. But as I was studying these notes and going over this message, brought me back to that day when the union steward's life was messed up. The one that fought against Harold and me so badly. His marriage fell apart. He was in a car accident, wasn't feeling good. And all of a sudden, his face popped around the case. Tim, would you pray for me? I don't know if he ever gave his heart to God. That's between him and God. But this is the one thing that I wanted to share with you. If you'll just take the time to be who you're supposed to be, people will come to you when they need a true Christian. You don't have to walk into the office with one of the old family Bibles. I'm coming to work. I got the answer right here. I'll come and fix all your problems. They're not looking for word. They're looking for you. They're looking for love. 
Their life is an upheaval. I, I want you to think back as we come to a close here. I want you to think back to when you first came into contact with the Lord. Was it because you heard a great sermon? Was it because somebody sat down and gave you the 10 points of understanding the Bible? The laws of interpretation? Was it because they broke down the genealogies for you? Was it because, what was it? What was it? Was it because of all of that or was it because somebody was actually there in your moment of need? And they reflected who you now come to understand was the reflection of Jesus. But at the time, you just thought it was somebody that was taking the time to care about you. If you're here today, just as they begin to sing, this entire sanctuary is an altar right now. And I believe that there are one of two people here. The first group of people I believe that are here today, you are struggling and fighting. It feels like you're in the middle of the water and you're trying to keep your head above it. And the more you flail, the more you seem to go under. Can I just remind you that Jesus has been there? He sat where you sat. And he's right there with you right now. And then there are those of us here today that have a desire to be used of God. You know where Jesus sat with you. You know where Jesus brought you from to where you are today. Can I challenge you to commit yourself not to God, but to those that are around you, to sit where they sit, to not forget where you came from, to not forget what God has done for you. And commit yourself not to fix people, but to help people, to sit where they sit, to stoop where they stoop, to find out how we can minister the greatest gift of all, the gift of love. Your love is amazing, steady and amazing. Would you reach out to me right now?
Jesus. Praise God. I want to challenge you this week to walk in the love of the Lord and be willing to stoop down for your neighbor and your family. And at the same time you're stooping, recognize that Jesus is stooping for you. He's reaching for you. He's fighting for you. He's trying to defend you. He's on your side. So when situations become overwhelming, when circumstance becomes crazy, when you feel like you're going down for the very last time, just know this, when you hit bottom, he's right there. He's waiting on you to catch you, to love on you, to minister to you. Find that place today. Can we just close in a word of prayer? Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love. God, I'm thankful that you love me so much that you came to this world to die for me. That you robed yourself in flesh and became human so that you could get come to where I was at. So that one day I can get to where you're at. Lord, you've felt everything I have felt. You have thought everything I've thought. And God, because of that, you are right there wherever I'm at. I pray right now that you wrap your loving arms around that person that's fighting and struggling right now. That has hit rock bottom. Lord, let them sense the encouraging strength of your embrace. Let them feel the mercy of your spirit. In the name that is above every name, Lord, use us this week. Use us this week to love like you love to reflect your love to somebody else so that they can experience you in a special divine way. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for you're the only one that's worthy of worship. We love you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Should the Lord tarry, we'll be here for life.